Let us bow together in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray that that love divine may so come down in the power of the Holy Spirit as we look into thy word and challenge our hearts afresh on this great theme that not one of us will go away without a desire to follow after love because we ask it for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. Let us turn one, once again to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. And this morning we are thinking of the third section of this epistle, this particular letter of the Song of Love. Verses 8 to 13 with 14 1a that is to say just the first phrase of the opening verses of chapter 14 where Paul says follow after love those of you who've been following this series will remember that on the first Sunday morning we were dealing with love's priority Last Sunday morning, love's activity, seen in love's restraint, and secondly, love's constraint. This morning we come to this glorious theme of love's eternity. The reason why love claims priority in all realms and controls activity in all relationships is because love is eternal. Like God himself, when everything else has passed away, love remains. Love lasts and lives on. So in this third stanza of this psalm of love, we see how love, by virtue of its eternity, supersedes the gifts of life. Point number one, surpasses the graces of life. Point number two, and supplies the goal of life. Now I want you to follow me closely with your open Bible as we consider these three sections and apply the truths to our hearts afresh this morning. First of all, consider how eternal love supersedes the gifts of life. Notice in verse 8, love never faileth, but whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether they be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. The Apostle Paul selects three gifts that were considered by the Corinthian church as being supreme gifts. The gift of prophecy, the gift of tongues, and the gift of knowledge. And Paul points out here how in every instance the grace of love supersedes the mere gifts of time. See, for instance, how love eternal supersedes the gift of prophecy. Yes, the gift of prophecy will be superseded by the consummation of perfect love. The consummation of perfect love. Whether they be prophecies, they shall fail. It was the ambition of every mother who brought a child into the world that he might be a prophet. Except for John the Baptist, 
the voice of the prophet had not been heard for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And even though here in a church at Corinth composed mainly of Greeks and a number of Jewish people undoubtedly and others, the gift of prophecy was exalted very highly. In fact, the Apostle Paul himself said, exhorted the believers in Corinth to desire the gift of prophecy above all other spiritual gifts. So this gift was highly prized. And they were coveting earnestly that gift, but Paul declares that prophecy shall fail. By this he meant that prophecy could not last forever. Prophecy only remains until consummated by love's eternal fulfillment. Life's passing gift will be superseded by love's lasting grace. So Paul says we know in part and in part we prophesy. But then that which is perfect is come and that which is in part shall be done away. It doesn't matter what my gift may be. It doesn't matter how prophetic my utterances may be, whether in foretelling or foretelling. There's a moment coming when that shall cease. And what really matters isn't whether I have spoken, but whether I have loved. My beloved friend here this morning, whoever you have, whatever gift you have, whoever you may be, it doesn't matter what those gifts are, my friend. What really matters is, do you love? Have you been dominated by love? Is your life pervaded? Has the love of God been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Spirit? The gift of prophecy superseded by love. But secondly, the gift of tongues will be, will be superseded by love. The gift of prophecy superseded by love's consummation. The gift of tongues superseded by love's elocution. For when no one can ever speak anything more of the languages of men, love, love will be eternal. The gift of tongues was already coveted in the Corinthian church and eagerly coveted and we might add not only in the Corinthian church. It is a gift that is sought after in certain sections of the Christian church today but the hour is coming when the gift of tongues and interpretation will be required no longer for those redeemed out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation will use one in one language only it'll be the language of eternal love. The problem of tongues has always been a characteristic of childhood stage, whereas love's elocution is the privilege of the growing and the glorified man. Thus the apostle declares, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. One can always tell the man or woman who's growing up to that glorified state that one day will be consummated by the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ that after the sensational, the dramatic, the vivid, anything that causes attention and draws attraction. But says the Apostle Paul, there's something more wonderful than even the gift of tongues. There's something more wonderful than the miraculous, supernatural utterances that may be given by God the Holy Ghost. It's to love is to speak in such a way that universally you're understood not because of a language you use but because of a spirit you exude. So love supersedes the gift of tongues 
Love supersedes the gift of prophecy. But look again at your passage. Love supersedes the gift of knowledge. Yes, for the gift of knowledge will be superseded by love's revelation. The gift of prophecy by love's consummation. The gift of tongues by love's elocution. The gift of knowledge by love's revelation. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. The Corinthians were seekers after knowledge. So much so that Paul has to warn them in this very epistle when he says, Love, love matters most. For remember, knowledge puffeth up. Love edifieth. But as good as knowledge is, it is ever being outmoded by progress and will one day be outdated by perfection of revelation. The writer to the Hebrews implies this when he exhorts as follows, Therefore leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. Let us go on unto perfection. And this leaving behind of knowledge already mastered will continue to be our experience until love's perfect revelation. And so Paul says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I am known? Says Paul, yes, knowledge may be wonderful, but remember there's something even more wonderful than knowledge. It's just love. It's just love. And those of us who've had experience of this know very well how wonderful it is to meet somebody whose intellect just scintillates with brilliance. Somebody whose whole mind is saturated with knowledge, whose magnificent and profound intellect has been submitted to discipline training. But oh, how cutting, how devastating, how killing that knowledge can be unless it's baptized by love, until it's saturated and dominated by divine love. And yet you can find somebody whose knowledge may not be very deep, may not be very profound, some simple little soul tucked away in obscurity who doesn't know anything like the knowledge you have, but who's been filled from heaven with the love of God shed abroad in her heart by the Holy Spirit and you can see through her eyes you can hear from her lips you can sense from her very spirit you can feel from the very glow of her personality that she's just in love with God with Jesus with everybody else and Paul says that's what really matters love is eternal for remember grasp after prophecy it'll cease grasp after tongues they will come to an end Seek to lay hold of knowledge, but knowledge is not forever. It's love that lasts. Love that lasts. And so we see, first of all then, how eternal love supersedes the gifts of life. But will you notice also that eternal love surpasses the graces of life? Not only supersedes the gifts of life, but the graces of life and surpasses them and now abideth faith hope and love these three but the greatest of these is love verse 13 the apostle is careful to point out that while each of these graces is great love is greatest it's greatest in order will you notice love is the greatest in order because of its moral quality strictly speaking faith has no moral virtue nor indeed has hope 
Whereas love is the sum total of all moral virtues. There isn't a virtue mentioned in the scriptures. There isn't a virtue known in human experience which isn't comprehended finally by love. And that's how Paul puts it in Romans 13:10. Love is the fulfilling of the law. If you really love, if you truly love, you have fulfilled the whole law. So that why faith has no virtue and hope has no virtue, love is the consummation, yes, and the comprehension of all true moral virtues. So it's greatest in order. Love is greatest in office too. Faith and hope represent great ministries. But greater than these three is the ministry of love. So Peter says in that amazing passage in 1 Peter 4, 8, Above all things, above all things, have fervent love among yourselves, for love shall cover a multitude of sins. In another passage, St. Paul in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 14, lists six wonderful qualities, moral virtues, that are to be sought after by every true born again man or woman. But when he's finished those six, he says, above all these things, above all these things, put on love. Put on love, which is the bond of perfectness. Greatest in order. Greatest in office. Yes, greatest in objective. For God's supreme objective is to make us like himself. Now God is never said to be faith. And you'll find no scripture to say that God is faith, though the Bible does speak of God as being faithful. 1 Corinthians 1.9 God is never said to be hope in the Bible. And yet we read that God is the God of hope. Romans 14.13 But he is categorically called love. For it's the apostle John preeminently who says in that wonderful epistle of his, God is love. Love is therefore the most godlike state of the soul. When we're like God, we're like love. When we're like love, we're like God. So we see that even though the graces of faith and hope abide, love surpasses these in order, in office, and in objective. I want to ask you, my friend, do you know love in your life? Has it the first place in order? Of all things you put in importance and lastingness in your life, is love first in order? We sometimes speak of God first, others second, and self last. We're not far wrong in interpreting the order of love, for when we put God first, we put love first. Of all the great things you long in your life, you may be just starting your career. You may have pursued it for many, many years. You're just building up a home. You're entering into a new experience of life. You're evaluating afresh all the issues of your particular circumstances or situations. Perhaps you've had a new spiritual experience and you're coming to understand that there must be an order in your life. Tell me what's first in your life. What have you put first? What is on the rung of the ladder? which is highest and a first order in your life. Have you ever thought it to be love? My friend, unless it's love first, then you're nothing. Everything you else, everything else you do doesn't count for naught. It's but a gong and a clanging cymbal. It counts as nothing before God. 
It'll never answer to all the demands of the judgment seat of Christ. Love must be first in order. Love must be first in office too. In all the ministries you exercise, it doesn't matter how brilliant you are in organization. It doesn't matter how outstanding you are, it may be in leadership. It doesn't matter what business acumen you may be endowed with so as to be able to pursue a pathway of prosperity in the world of business and vocation. It doesn't matter if you're the most wonderful lecturer that ever lectured at any university. It doesn't matter if you are a capable housewife knowing how to deal with your home in the tidy, disciplined way in which you've always dreamed of running a home. It doesn't matter, schoolboy or schoolgirl, how mighty you are in your lessons, how often you get your 90s and your 100s in your examinations, supremely in office and in ministry, the thing that matters and that counts before heaven alone is love. Is love. All these other things can be nothing than ashes upon a rusty altar when finally presented to God unless they're dominated by love. Love must be first, yes, not only in order and in office, but in objective. The one pursuit of your life, the one ambition of your life, the one aim of your life, the one goal of your life must be love. Because you want to be like God. And the effulgence and expression and outshining of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. And He is incarnate love. And to know Him and to love him and to trust him and to follow him and to grow like him is to be like love. And that must be your supreme objective. And so we've seen that eternal love supersedes the great gifts of life. Eternal love surpasses the great graces of life. But in the third place and particularly personally and devotionally this morning I want us to consider that eternal life supplies the great goal of life. The great goal of life. Having anticipated this already, I want to deal with it more thoroughly now. Would you look at chapter 14 and just the part of the first verse there? Unfortunately, the break comes there and it should never be. For Paul is moving right through from his song of love into this exhortation. And he says, follow, follow after love, follow. Follow after love. You've seen how love in its eternity supersedes the gifts of life. You've seen how love in its eternity surpasses the graces of life. Now see how love in its eternity must supply the goal of life. D.L. Moody once said that the motto of his life and it permeated his life right through to his dying day was the text in this very epistle of John that we've been referring to again and again this morning. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. If you want to live forever in the presence of God unashamed, if you want to know the greatest goal that God has ever set before us, consider the eternity of love in its supreme goal for life. Follow after love, says the Apostle Paul. Now notice carefully, the word follow had very special significance for the Apostle Paul. Among the other instances in his writings, he uses it to describe the goal to which he directed every bit of his zeal. The word is found again and again in Paul's writings. 
To him it was a sad word. It had become now a glad word. It's the word he translates again and again, persecute. Persecute. Notice this. Concerning zeal, he says, I persecuted the church. Philippians 3.6 Concerning zeal in my unregenerate days, as a bigoted zealot, as an unregenerate religious man, as a student from the feet of Gamaliel, I was a zealous man and there was one ambition in my life and that was to do havoc to the church of God, to bring the Savior's name into the dust and to ruin the whole cause of Jesus Christ. And I was so burning up in zeal that I persecuted the church. That's the word follow. The same Greek word follow. And now Paul takes it and he brings it into another context. And he says, now then this is my ambition. Just as I persecuted the church of Jesus Christ with unabating zeal and I thirsted for men's men and women's blood as a tiger or as a lion might, so now I pursue love. So now I persecute love, I follow love, I pursue it even to the very end. This is the goal of my life. It's a solemn as well as a searching thing to examine just how Paul uses this word in his testimonies in various places. Three of his most descriptive statements serve to illustrate in my judgment just what Paul means about following love, following after love. And let's put it in this form and then we'll understand it together. Let's put it in three propositions as we conclude this morning. Here is the first one. No determination. No determination is too great for love. No determination is too great for love. For notice, writing to the Galatians, Paul says, Beyond measure I persecuted the church. Beyond measure I persecuted the church. From the context as well as from the meaning of the words, Paul is indicating something of the extraordinary determination with which he set about the task of persecuting the church and laying it waste. It was a determination of concentration. He narrowed himself down to it. There was no other interest in his life than persecuting the church of Jesus Christ beyond all measure. Now he says, this is how we are to follow after love. Let us never forget that determination, not desire, controls our destiny. Whatever else you fail to achieve, my beloved brother, Whatever else you fail to achieve, my sister here this morning, determined to follow after love, make it the determination of your life, not just merely a desire, but a determination. And just as Paul, beyond all measure, without weighing up the degrees at all, pursued this task of wrecking the church of Jesus Christ with a zeal unabated, follow after love. Love is beyond all determination. No determination is too great for love. Secondly, no duty is too great for love. Acts 22, 4, in his defense before his own people, Paul could say, I persecuted unto death. Yet another description of his persecution days. I persecuted the church beyond measure. Now again, I persecute unto death. Though Paul, intelligent and cultured, must have found the ruthless putting to death in cold blood of men and women who are utterly innocent, 
One of the saddest things he ever had to do in his life. One of the most revolting. One of the duties from which he recoiled most. Yet he did it. Yet he did it. We can readily understand how Paul ever after regretted this blot upon his life as he could think of the many people he had hounded to death. Men and women of beautiful character, of Christian grace, who were prepared to stand for their Lord and die for their Lord, whom he hewed to pieces. And remember, he stood by the stoning of Stephen. He looked upon that man's face. He saw the glow and glory of God as Jesus shone out of that man's eyes. He heard the prayer, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. He saw a man who had the very heavens opened and saw Jesus in the glory of God and entered into his reward as the first martyr of the Christian church. He saw all that while he had the very clothes. He held the very clothes in his hands of those who were pummeling Stephen to death with boulders. He did all that out of sheer zeal. It was a duty for him. It was a duty he must see through cost what it would. He persecuted unto death. And now he picks up that word so meaningful to him, so significant to him. And he says, do just the same with love. Follow after love. My dear friend, this means that there is no duty in heaven, on earth, or anywhere that you will not do for the sake of love. It means however menial the task may be. It means however hard the task may be. Even though it involves death to yourself. Even though it means denying yourself the comforts. Yes, and the complacency perhaps or smug satisfaction of a modern evangelical age. You're going right through with it. Why? There is no duty too great for love. It doesn't matter what you're asked to do. If it comes from the throne, if it's a call of God to your life, you'll do it. Why? Because there's no duty too great for love. Follow after love. Yes, no determination too great for love. No duty too great for love. But listen, and here is a word especially to young people in this congregation this morning and those who may be listening to me on radio. There's another illustration Paul gives us here, which we were putting in this proposition. There is no distance too great for love. Before Agrippa, Paul had to admit this. I persecuted even unto strange cities. Acts 26, 11. I persecuted even unto strange cities. Except for the purpose of persecuting, he would have never traveled these distances. Paul would have never gone to strange cities. He wouldn't have endured some of the privations and tiredness and loneliness, yes, and weariness of traveling through to strange cities if it hadn't been that he had one ambition in his life, and that was to persecute the church of Christ. And he says, now then, follow after love like that. Love has no distances. Love doesn't recognize any difficulties. Love doesn't view loneliness and privation or anything else as being comparable to the shared joy of living and working and praying and dying for love. I said here's a word to young people. I wonder how many young people in this audience this morning 
those listening to my voice had been challenged again and again to serve Jesus Christ on the mission field? I wonder how many of you have thought that while 60% of the American people go to church, there are places where Jesus' name has never been heard. There are areas, great areas, that have never heard the gospel story. Indeed, there are tribes where the gospel has never even been translated into their own tongue. Indeed, there are languages and dialects that haven't even been reduced to writing. And you're sitting here complacent. You're sitting here satisfied. You've got your job. You've got your money. You've got your home. You've got your ambitions. You've got your horizons. And there's a dying world outside needing Christ. And time and time again, you've heard the challenge of Jesus Christ to serve. And you brook the issue. Why? It's too far. You've recoiled from the insects, from the animal life, from impacting the minds of others with what you call your Western thought against the primitive thinking. You've thought of loneliness. You've thought of loved ones being left behind. You thought of sacrifice, the cost of it all, and you're still there in disobedience. You've never gone forth. You've never picked up the cross to follow Jesus. You've never walked down the path of service for him. You're here this morning because you've violated the law of love. I want to remind you this morning that there's no determination that love will not face. There is no duty that love will not face. There is no distance that love will not face. I persecuted the church, he said, even unto strange cities. And isn't it amazing that when Paul fell at the feet of Jesus Christ and owned him Lord and Master of his life, one of the first things Jesus said to him, I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. All his little world of ambition crumbled around him as he heard the call of incarnate love to leave Jerusalem and to go into the far ends of the earth to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he did it. He did it. And you, if you ask me why he did it, here is the language coming back from the epistle of Corinthians, the love of Christ. The love of Christ constraineth us constraineth us. The word is narrows us down, brings us right down to one direction and one purpose and one aim alone and that's to fulfill the will of God. Tell me, do you know anything of love like that? Eternal love surpasses the graces of life. Eternal love supersedes the great, great gifts of life. Eternal love supplies the goal of life. And what is that goal? To follow after love. And may I remind you, my friend, that there's no determination which is too great for love. There is no duty which is too great for love. There is no distance which is too great for love. So we have seen how love supplies the goal of life. My prayer for everyone who, le who listens to my voice here this morning is that your ambition, 
will ever be to press on to that goal, whatever the cost in terms of determination, whatever the costs in terms of duty, whatever the cost in terms of distance, thus shall you serve in love, filled by God's Holy Ghost. And so in this final study we've seen that to love is to live eternally. Let us then count everything but loss for the more excellent way, following after love, which is in the last analysis, following after Christ. And remember, young and old here this morning, the words that challenged my life and brought me to a consecration and devotion to Jesus Christ, which I have sought, which I have sought to follow through. And trust will do so to the end of my days. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Jesus will last. Will you follow after love? Will you open the whole of your being here this morning to the infilling and anointing of the Spirit of God and make that act a daily attitude henceforth, this crisis, a continual process that you might be filled and dominated by transcendent redemptive love that its priority its activity and its eternity may motivate the rest of your life whatever the determ determination whatever the duty whatever the distance let us pray I want to ask you my friend to bow your head wherever you are listening this morning and remember this, you've never lived if you've never loved. And I'm not talking about the sickly, sentimental human passions and affections of men and women who know nothing of the new birth. I'm talking about this divine, supernatural, sublime consummation and comprehension of all moral qualities and virtues, this love of God in Christ, mediated to us by the Holy Spirit. Brother, sister, fellow girl, do you know such love? Will you open the whole of your being to the domination of it? Will you remember that there's no determination or duty? There is no distance which love cannot see you through. If only you'll be dominated by love. Lord, take this word, we pray, then indeed this series, and so reproduce it in our life and behavior that as a church and as a listening audience we shall never be the same. Oh God, thou dost hold us responsible. Save us from sinning against love. Save us from sinning against thyself in failing to heed the challenge of this word because we ask it for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen. This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004. If you wish to learn about our online resources or learning events at the Institute for Biblical Preaching, our web address is olford.org. That's O-L-F-O-R-D dot org. You also may want to benefit from our online video training on expository preaching, which can also be found 
on our website. Thank you so much for listening.